0: Uh, turn with me this morning, if you would, to Luke chapter one. Again, thank you for being here. Even those of you who knew that I was preaching this morning, Dad wouldn't be here. Uh, appreciate you going ahead and showing up this morning. Uh, the truth is, we don't we don't come to we don't come to church this morning because of the individual that's standing behind the pulpit, though. Uh, that's that's not why we're here this morning. Uh, you may find the most eloquent. Speaker at a church, you may find somebody who who, uh, struggles for words. They may be like Moses. You know, he said, find somebody else to do the talking. Uh, But if the individual that's standing behind uh, the pulpit is bringing the unadulterated, pure word of God, then we're in the right place, aren't we? And so we'll talk this morning about this subject, a season to worship. A season to worship. And we know Christmas, it's one of the the biggest commercial holidays that there is. Uh, Billions and billions of dollars are spent on decorations, food, and then, of course, that perfect gift. People have got to buy those gifts during the season. Uh, I hope most of you have your shopping done. I'm sure the ladies do. Uh, The guys, when do we go? We go at like 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve, right? We're trying to make it out of Walmart before they shut the doors on us to find that gift. And so uh, a lot of people, though, especially in recent years, it seems like the Christmas shopping season kicks off earlier and earlier. Uh, We were discussing this recently, that this year I saw Black Friday sales taking place in October. Black Friday has no longer just become the day after Thanksgiving, has it? Black Friday is now this extended months-long period of time uh, to capitalize on people spending all of this money uh, for Black Friday and for Christmas, and then you roll over into Cyber Monday and you've got all of these uh, shopping days spent. And so the weeks leading up to Christmas, uh, this season is supposed to be filled with peace and happiness. But I feel like I continue to hear people talk about how overwhelmed and how stressful and anxious the season can get for us uh, when we get caught up in all of sort of these commercial uh, things to have to do with the season. And if we let that take our focus off of what the season is supposed to be about, uh, we can experience some of those feelings. And maybe that's what the author E.B. White meant when he said, uh, to perceive Christmas through its wrappings becomes more difficult with every year. Uh, Many of you probably, you say, yeah, I I can feel that. I sense that. Uh, I think about Charlie Brown. We watched Charlie Brown Christmas the other night. How many of you like Charlie Brown? Isn't that what he was sort of decrying in Charlie Brown Christmas? He was so discouraged and distressed over the fact that commercialism had taken over. He doesn't know what Christmas is about. And so finally, what does Linus do? Uh, Linus walks up, he steps to the microphone, and he begins to quote from Luke chapter 2. I I love Charlie Brown Christmas for that one scene uh, that Linus steps up, and he reads from Luke chapter 2, and he finishes, and he looks at Charlie Brown and says, Charlie Brown, that's what Christmas is all about. So we can get our eyes on the commercialism of Christmas, and it can kind of distress us, and it can cause us to have this fear inside of us, this anxiety inside of us, maybe some uh, depression. And if we want to avoid the stress that is associated with the Christmas season, what do we do? Well, we turn our eyes, we turn our attention back to the focus of what the season is supposed to be about, the one whose birth we celebrate. What did uh, the book of Isaiah tell us? In Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6, these famous words, for unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We've sung about the name of Jesus this morning, how his name is wonderful. When we think about this, uh, the Prince of Peace, that's what we're looking for during this season of Christmas, right? We're looking for those feelings of peace and contentment. And the truth is, Jesus came to be the prince of peace for all who believe. And the Bible teaches us, uh, just very quickly we mentioned this. The Bible teaches us that there's a kind of three different types of peace available through Christ. And we can have peace from God. We can have peace with God. Uh, when we become justified, when we become right with God by accepting his gift of salvation, the fact that he came and died on the cross for our sins, and we accept that in our own lives, we have peace with God. And then Paul mentioned something in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 7. He says there's the peace of God. And he says the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And the announcement that we look at here in Luke chapter 1, those verses we read together this morning, the announcement of the birth of Christ, it was supposed to bring peace to troubled hearts. These individuals for centuries... These people had been waiting for the announcement of the coming Messiah. And there was a lot of things happening in their lives that when the announcement of the birth of Christ came, it was intended to bring peace to those troubled hearts. And not just to those people, but it still brings peace to our hearts today, doesn't it? And when we understand that miraculous message that was given to Mary, that Jesus would be born, that he would be Emmanuel, we sang that song this morning, Jesus, our Emmanuel, what does that mean? It means God with us. Uh, No longer was God just uh, off somewhere else, but we now have God with us. And when we understand that message that he came to earth to be our savior and to be our prince of peace, that's when we'll be able to do what we're gonna talk about this morning, truly worship him during this season. Uh, The Christmas season should be one of worship. And we'll see this morning how his presence brings uh, peace into our troubled lives. Let's pray together. And then we'll get into the message. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather around your word this morning. We thank you for the fact that you sent your Son to be the Savior of our sins, that you sent him to be that Prince of Peace for all who would believe. Lord, for those who are here this morning, they might have those feelings of anxiety, they may be feeling the stress of the season. Lord, I pray that you would help us to once again refocus our attention on the one whose birth we're celebrating. Lord, for those who may be here this morning and feeling unworthy, I pray that we would remember the words of the song that we just heard sung, that uh, you were the one who came to forgive us of our sins, that you can bring peace to our lives. So I pray that you would work through this message this morning, allow the words to be the words that you would have us to say and to hear, Lord, that it would make a difference in our lives and that it would change us. Lord, I pray that we would leave here this morning with a renewed sense of focus on celebrating and worshiping Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings during this Christmas season. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Begin this morning by mentioning first the message of peace that we see here in Luke chapter 1 in verse number 26 through verse number 28. And I'll read those again to you this morning. It begins by saying, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And that, just notice if you mark in your Bible, I would, I would underline that city of Galilee named Nazareth. We'll come back to that in a moment. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art a highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now, one might imagine that God could have picked a more impressive place than the city of Nazareth, for the birth of His only Son, the Messiah. But this message of peace was given in a humble place. The city of Nazareth. Now this was a city that was about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. And the city of Nazareth, um, very insignificant location. So insignificant, it's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. We don't hear of the city of Nazareth until the New Testament. Uh, Nazareth was considered to be this very small, poor, uh, backwoods, sort of redneck, uh, hit society of people that lived there. It had a very bad reputation. The people who lived there, uh, if you'll remember, when Jesus was calling his disciples, he called a man by the name of Nathanael. And in John chapter 1, verse number 46, uh, he says, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You're telling me that's where Jesus is from? I'm supposed to go follow him? Is anything good even from there? Uh, Have you not heard about the reputation of those people up there in Nazareth? I mean, it was nothing like Jerusalem. You would expect if God was going to announce the birth of his only begotten son, this is going to be that prince of peace, the king of kings, the everlasting Lord, uh, that this would be some great place to announce uh, the birth of Jesus, that he'd be from Jerusalem. But God didn't choose the big city, did he? He didn't choose the impressive town. God chose the small town of Nazareth. Uh, God's not always impressed with the big, fancy things, is he? A lot of times God's looking for small things. A lot of times big works with God start in small places. They start with insignificant people. And so Nazareth reminds us that God's not looking for accomplishments of man's doing. That's what impresses us. God's looking just like he did when he was ready to choose a king, and he sent Samuel. You remember what Samuel looked at? What did Samuel look? He goes to Jesse's house, and he looks at all these different men. He says, surely this is the one that God has chosen to be the king of Israel. God says, no, that's not him. No, that's not him. No, that's not him. And who did it turn out to be? It turned out to be the little runt of a boy, David, it says God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. God's looking for people with a heart for him. The Apostle Paul, he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, See your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And he goes on, he says, a things that are base, things that are low, things that are not esteemed very highly, that's what God has chosen to do his work through. Why? Because when God can do a great work through insignificant people, from insignificant places, that means that the glory gets directed back to him. Otherwise, in our pride, we'd be tempted to try to, to take the glory for what's being done. But no, God chose the insignificant town of Nazareth, a little humble place. Sometimes we sing that song, I know Connor song, little as much when God is in it. How many times in the ministry of Jesus did we see Jesus use small and insignificant things to do a great work? How about the little boy that came with just a a small lunch, but God did a mighty work through him? How many times did he use people like the, the poor widow while everybody else was casting in their great things into the treasury? This humble little lady walks by with two mites and drops in. And Jesus calls the attention of his disciples and he says, Hey, look over here. Look at the great faith of this woman. God uses small things and in Nazareth God found a woman that was completely yielded to his purpose for her life. The message of peace was not just given in a humble place but it was given to a humble woman and this was the woman that he chose to use Mary I heard about One Sunday school teacher, she asked her class, he said, "Uh, who do you think was the most important woman in the Bible? Man, Eric had his hand up first. She said, who was it? He said, it was Eve. And she said, okay. She said, why do you think Eve was the most important woman in the Bible? He said, well, there's two holidays named after you. You have Christmas Eve and you have New Year's Eve. It had to be Eve. Now, I don't know that Mary's necessarily the most important woman in the Bible, we can we can debate that and argue it, but she played a vital role in our Savior's birth, and there wasn't any area of her life that we see this uh, brought out more than in her holiness and in her purity. Uh, when it comes to Mary, a lot of people go to one or two extremes. They either give so much attention to Mary that they go overboard and they begin to ascribe to her a status that a Scripture does not teach, and. Then you have people that go to the other extreme because they've overcorrected so much on this side and they assign so much uh, praise to Mary that that some would even worship Mary and pray to Mary that then they say, you know what, let's ignore Mary and and we just push her off over here to the side. So we want to be careful that we don't give her too much uh, status, but we also don't want to be guilty of neglecting her too much either. I mean, after all, she was the mother of Jesus Christ. Now, from all indicators, as we look at Mary, we begin to think about Mary, uh, there wasn't anything real special about her. Again, she's from Nazareth, this very poor, backwoods town. So from all indicators, nothing about Mary's life would ever be extraordinary. Mary, if her life would have just continued on without this announcement, she would have married very humbly somebody from her area another redneck from Nazareth, somebody else who was also poor. They would have probably several children. More than likely, she never would have traveled very far from her home. One day she would have just died like thousands of other people had died. She would have just been a nobody from a nobody town. No in the middle of nowhere. But the greatest news ever proclaimed, it came to this humble lady. As Gabriel announces what's about to happen. God didn't go announce it to the highest of the high society. Wasn't it just nine months later, after this announcement of the birth of Jesus, that once he was finally born... Uh, Who did the angels show up to? Well, they showed up to a group of just simple, dirty, rough shepherds. Nobody fancy. And in Luke chapter 2, verse number 14, the angels show up in the sky with the great announcement, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So the greatest news ever proclaimed in Israel, it came to the humblest of people came to people like Mary, came to people like Joseph, came to people like the shepherds. God's not impressed with the big, the fancy, the most well-to-do. He's looking for those that have a heart. I like what Kent Hughes says about this. He says, as we study the Annunciation, we must accept the essential spiritual fact of the Incarnation and the Gospel. The Lord comes to needy people. The Lord comes to needy people, those who realize that without Him they cannot make it, those who acknowledge their weakness and spiritual lack. The incarnation, salvation, resurrection, and Christmas are not for the proud and self sufficient. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 5? He says, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. Uh, Those uh, who are sick are the ones in need of a doctor. Those who are well, they have no need of a doctor. I came to call those who are not proud. Those who are not self-sufficient. Those who uh, think that they can't make it on their own. Jesus came for needy people. Not only was this message of peace given to a humble woman in a humble place, but it was also noticed she was a holy woman. Mary was morally pure. And in our text today, we see it emphasized in the question that Mary then asked of Gabriel verse number 34. She says, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the Holy Spirit emphasized Mary's purity throughout Scripture to protect the doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ. There are those who will attack this doctrine, but uh, we firmly believe in this. In the book of Matthew, uh, he writes that the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child. In Isaiah chapter 7, we have the prophecy given. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, all throughout Scripture, we see it emphasized over and over again. Uh, Mary was a morally pure woman. She was a virgin. She had never been with a man. That's why she asked Gabriel, how is this going to happen? But in a society where many times the media would mock a commitment to purity and holiness, uh, Mary serves as a godly example to young women today. I, at our one of the auto auctions where I work. The last couple of weeks. I've seen some young men wearing shirts. Uh, that says I'm still a virgin and I'm proud of it. And they got them from their church. Uh, they're not ashamed. They're, I don't know. They look like they're in their late teens, early twenties. I talked with them about their shirts. And they, they said you know, that their church had been emphasizing in their youth group. And in their uh, singles class. And in their college class. Uh, to remain pure. And so they said, we're not ashamed to wear these shirts. Uh, Mary, she was pure in heart. Mary was not sinless. Uh, There are those who would try to to teach uh, the sinlessness of Mary, and we we don't believe that, and Scripture doesn't teach that. Mary, uh, she was a a sinner just like the rest of us. Uh, But she was pure in heart. Uh, She was godly. She was chaste. Even though she was living right there in Nazareth, uh, that place, it was filled with ungodly people. Like I said, it was sort of a a bad reputation that came with Nazareth. It was sort of a cesspool of some bad things going on. But Mary was living for God uh, even in a difficult area. Again, it serves as an example for us. Yes, in difficult places, we can still live a life for God. And so this message of peace comes to her. She wasn't unique financially. She wasn't unique socially. What was she? She was just a willing and ready vessel. Says, God, use me however you can. She had yielded her life completely and totally to God. And then notice next, the reason for worship. Now consider what message she was hearing from Gabriel. In verse number 31, he says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Uh, this is the greatest news the world would ever hear. The birth of Jesus. If we put ourselves into her shoes, you know, we can probably understand how she might have a little bit of fear coming on. Uh, I mean, she says, how, how can this be? How is this going to happen? Uh, what, what do you mean, Gabriel? How is this going to take place? You know, many times when God's working in our lives, we don't understand what's going on, how he's about to work. And so his ways can seem troubling to us. But just as Joseph had a choice, the angel came to Joseph. Joseph had a choice to make. This was was troubling news to Joseph. Mary had the same exact choice that Joseph had. Do I trust myself or do I trust what God is telling me? And you have the same choice in your life. When God's doing something in your life and you're not sure what's going on, you can either choose to trust yourself or you can choose to trust God. Even when you don't know what's happening. Even you don't know why he's doing things the way he's doing it. It's been said that when we can't trace God's hand, we can always trust God's heart. We can trust God. That's the choice that we're faced with. Just like Mary and Joseph, are they going to trust God? And as she listened to the angel, Mary began to hear some things about Christ that would calm her fear and this would give her a reason to worship and it began with the fact of Christ's presence the reason for worship was because of Christ's presence the angel told Mary the baby's name was to be Jesus you know what the name Jesus means means that he will save he would save his people from their sin I, I love the name of Jesus don't you it's special. Uh, we sung last Sunday, we sung that song, there's something about that name. Jesus. Jesus. I'd say, first of all, uh, it's easy to say. You ever found names in the Bible that are difficult to pronounce? I mean, how many people have you ever heard uh, like Tilgath Pilnezer Here's one. Meher Shalal Hashbaz from Isaiah. Now I'm glad that That wasn't the announcement, you know, that Meher Shalal Hashbaz was the Savior. Uh, Jesus is easy to say, isn't it? It's simple. Even those who hate Jesus know his name, don't they? Say it with me this morning. What is his name? It is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Oh, it's a wonderful name. Sometimes we sing that song at church, what a lovely name, the name of Jesus. Not only is his name easy to say, but his name is esteemed. Uh, his, his name and his work is known throughout the world. And the Apostle Paul, he would write to the church at Philippi that one day uh, everyone would bow at the name of Jesus. He says, Wherefore, hath God also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth. And he says, uh, one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His name is esteemed. Even those who hate the name of Jesus, they'll one day have no choice but to bow their knee and with their mouth confess that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. His name is enduring. From Genesis to Revelation, uh, we see the name of Jesus over and over again. Uh, We can find Jesus all through the scriptures. We talked about this in our teen class on Wednesday night, how in eternity, how God exists outside of time. Uh, I, I can't comprehend that fully. I don't totally understand all of that, but He exists outside of time, and the name of Jesus has existed for all of eternity. In Revelation chapter 22, it says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We talked Wednesday night in our class how that one day those armies of the world will gather right there in the Middle East where we see so much taking place right now. They will have been deceived thinking that they can conquer God one last time. And with just one word of his mouth, the battle will be over. His name is exclusive. His name is wonderful and more special than any name because it's through Jesus that we find salvation. As Jessica sung earlier, he's the lamb who was given, slain for our pardon. His promise is peace to those who believe. In the book of Acts, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now what did the people in Acts, the, the early Christians, why were they continually persecuted? Because they kept preaching the name of Jesus. And they were told, If you just stop preaching the name of Jesus, we'll stop the persecution. But they wouldn't do it, would they? They continued to preach that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He was who He said He was, that He was the Messiah. He was the Prince of Peace. He was the Promised One. There were those that hated the fact that they believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And just like those early Christians, the name of Jesus should be a name that we love. It should be a name that we protect. It should be a name that we exalt. Of the rest of the world, many times uh, they'll use the name of Jesus uh, as a curse word. But when we hear the name of Jesus, it leads us to worship. And once again, one day, even those who have cursed the name of Jesus will have no choice but to bow. For them it will be too late. For them it will be too late. When they finally recognize that He is who He said He was, the offer of peace that we have today, it will no longer be offered to them. He is the prince of peace, but one day he will rule as the judge. And all those whose name were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. Yes, he's a God of love. There is that gift of peace and mercy and forgiveness today. The choice to bow and confess Jesus Christ as Lord is best made today. Behold, today is the day of salvation. I don't do as, as those that, that Paul spoke to and said, uh, you know, perhaps one day. We're not promised tomorrow. What is your life? It's even a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. The Bow the knee today. Mary was able to worship because of Christ's presence. But not just Christ's presence, but Christ's perfection. Her fears were calmed as she's told more about this gift from God to the world. Look at verse number 32. He shall be great. And he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. He was the perfect gift. You ever tried to search for that perfect gift? I mean, we always want to find the perfect gift for someone, don't we, uh, Jessica? If anybody's wondering what the perfect gift for me this year is, it is an autographed Corey Seager uh, World Series Championship jersey. Just FYI throwing that out there. Sometimes we buy a gift and we know, okay, this is the perfect gift for that person. And sometimes we just hope it is. Sometimes you, they open it up and you can tell instantly whether or not it was the perfect gift or not. You can see the expression on their face. Connor probably has trouble hiding it. Or he just picks out his own gifts, doesn't he? He went and bought his own TV last year. That was his... It reminds me, though, uh, how we can get it wrong of the uh, lady that I heard about, the elderly aunt. She had decided that she was done trying to find the perfect gift for Christmas for her family. So this year, she did the easy thing, gift cards, right? When you don't know what to get somebody, you just go with a gift card. So she bought gift cards for her family, and she decided she'd get some Christmas cards to go with them to put the, the gift cards in. So she wrote in her cards as she uh, was thinking about her family, addressed it to each one of them. She wrote into the card, uh, buy your own Christmas presents this year. Seals them up, and she mails them off. A little while goes on, she realizes that some of her family is beginning to kind of you know treat her awkwardly. Like something isn't right. She can tell that they're acting offended toward her. She doesn't know what's going on until one day as she was doing some cleaning, you know, spring cleaning came. She opened up the junk drawer. You know what she found in the junk drawer? All the gift cards. All she did was send out the Christmas cards that said, buy your own presents this year. (laughs) She was sick of finding the perfect gift, so just buy them yourself. But God knew mankind. He knew what we needed. He knew the perfect gift to send to us. He knew we needed salvation. He knew we needed forgiveness. And he knew that there was no way that we could find that justification, that peace with God on our own. And so he announces to the world the gift of Jesus. And when we give the gift of Jesus to others by sharing the gospel message, we help them, don't we? We can rest assured that that's the perfect gift for everybody. Uh, Share the gift of Jesus with somebody during the holiday season. You want to be able to worship during this Christmas season? uh, Lead somebody to salvation. Gives you a reason to worship. Uh, When your family, when you know that your family is saved, when you know that your family has found that forgiveness, you can worship. You can lay your head on your pillow at night knowing that my family has found the gift of Jesus. When we sit, consider Christ's perfection, it reminds us of his nature. Because Jesus was not just fully man, but he was also fully God. Again, that's one of those things, don't ask me to, to explain it, I don't understand it. But the Bible says that that's what it is. And so I accept what the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse number 14, the Word was made flesh. And notice, that's a capital W. It's talking about Jesus. The Word was made flesh. That's what we're celebrating this season, that He was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. In the beginning, God. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. John chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, that capital W. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was the eternal God. Jesus was fully God. He wasn't just some good teacher, he wasn't just a good man, he wasn't just some prophet, but Jesus was God. Paul declared this in Colossians chapter 2. He says, in him, speaking of Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily Jesus Christ is fully God. Much of the world hates that fact. The world might accept that Jesus was a good man, he was a good teacher, he was a prophet, uh, but he was just another man like anybody else. But we believe Jesus Christ is God. And to deny his name is to deny his deity. In the last half of verse number 23, uh, uh, not 23... 33, he says of his kingdom there shall be no end. He says he'll sit on the throne of David. He'll rule the house of Jacob forever. Now we know today the throne that he sits on today, uh, it is not that throne. But one day he's coming back because in John chapter 1 verse number 11, when Jesus came, it says he came unto his own, but his own received him not. They rejected him. So now he's turned to us. But one day he will sit on that throne. He will rule on that throne. In Revelation chapter 19, verse number 16, it talks about the second coming of Jesus. And it says, He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will establish his reign and rule here on earth. Jesus came to be the Savior of the world, but he also came to be the one to fulfill the promises that God had made to those Jewish fathers. So those of us who worship Jesus, we're looking forward to the day that he returns, but we don't have to wait until he comes back for us to worship. You know, we worship Jesus right now. We worship him uh, every day, thanking him for coming to save us. And then very quickly and lastly this morning, I want you to see the consent of Mary. So we think about the fact that uh, God came to earth. He took on the form of human flesh. Do you ever feel amazed that God would send His Son to live a perfect, sinless life and that there are people who reject that? Isn't that incredible? But in verse 34 through verse number 38, we see a principle in Mary's life that we should duplicate. When she heard about the coming of Jesus, when she heard about this one who had been promised that was coming, what did she do? She chose to believe and obey. Her troubled heart, the multitude of questions that must have been going through her mind, they all began to calm and quiet as she realized who Jesus was. And the world today has a lot of questions. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of things happening that Jesus can solve. And so she heard all that the angel declared of God's will and God's word, and she determined to believe and submit herself to him. In verse number 34, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? shall be impossible. Uh, we know the story of Elizabeth and Zacharias, how in their old age they've never had a child, but uh, God does a miracle. They say for, with God, nothing shall be impossible. You see, when it comes to be, uh, believing the word of God, uh, you just get comfortable with believing in supernatural events. This woman who is too old to have a child has a child. Say, how does the virgin birth happen? I don't know. But if God can cause an an old woman who's barren to have a child, uh, He can cause a virgin to have a child. And so Mary says, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. First of all, she consented to God's will. She could have said, Gabriel, thanks but no thanks. Thanks. Sounds like it might be a lot of fun, but there could be a lot of problems come with this. Uh, can you imagine the accusations that will be thrown at me? Can you imagine what people will say? Can you imagine my entire life how this will go? But not Mary. She made a habit. out of submitting to God and everything. Mary saying, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. That sort of reminds me a lot of Isaiah. He said, Here am I, Lord. Send me. It reminds me of Esther. She said, if I perish, I perish. It reminds me of Ruth talking to Naomi. She said, your people will be my people. Your God shall be my God. I'm going with you. It reminds me of Job as he he said, though he slay me, even if he kills me, yet will I trust in him. That's how faithful people respond to God's plan, even when they don't understand it. Mary says, I don't understand all of these things. I don't know what all you're doing, but be it unto me according to thy word. She consented to God's will. And she says, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, the handmaid. That was the lowest form of servant that there was. She really trusted God. She belonged totally to the Lord. Her body, right here in verse number 38... Be it unto me according to thy word. Her body belonged to the Lord. In verse number 6, she mentions her soul. In verse number 47, she mentions her spirit. Uh, Her entire being was dedicated to doing the will of God. Kind of reminds me of what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. We're to present our bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord, holy, acceptable unto God. He says it's our reasonable service. Uh, The only way a person can genuinely say what Mary says here is to believe that God's plan is better than our plan. Did Mary understand everything? I don't know that she did. But she says, be it unto me according to thy word. So she consented to God's will and she consented to God's word. Could she believe that everything would happen just as the angel said? Or would she trust herself? Andrew Murray once said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life holy yielded to him. Uh, Just like Mary, we'll find that when we choose to trust God's word, We're putting ourselves in hands that are more capable than our own. We'll learn that when we put ourselves in God's hands and we consent to do His will and we consent to His word, we'll find out that He never fails us. In the book of 1 Kings, it says, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto His people of Israel. According to all that He promised, there hath not failed one word of all His good promise. And so Mary yielded herself to be used of God. She's about to get a front row seat to witness the greatest event that God would do. The work of bringing Jesus into the world. And it caused her to worship Him. Go down to verse number 46. After she hears all of these things. We're talking about a season to worship. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed his strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath opened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. What did the announcement of the birth of Christ do for Mary? It brought her to a point of worship. Her soul rejoiced. She magnifies the Lord. So, as we make our Christmas lists, check them twice. Make sure you're setting yourself up for a season of worship rather than a season of worry. Don't get caught up in the stress of things. Don't get lost in the commercialism of the season. Take time between now and Christmas. One of the things I like to do is to read the book of Luke during the Christmas season. It's got 24 chapters. You read a chapter a day, you finish on Christmas Eve. You've read the entire account of the life of Jesus. Find things that focus on Him. Talk with your family about salvation, about what the coming of Christ means. Share the gospel with somebody. Invite a friend to church. Focus on this as a season of worship. And worship is made possible when we, like Mary, believe the Word of God about who Jesus is and why He came. What did Paul tell us? book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul wrote this. He says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus, He lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life. But that day on the cross, Jesus took my sin and He took your sin. He took the sin of all mankind for all time. And the Father in heaven turned His face away. As Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we, the unfaithful, the unrighteous, the guilty, might be made the righteousness of God in him. Wow. It's a season of worship. Jesus exchanged His righteousness for our sin. And one of the incredible mysteries of this is the fact that when we accept Christ as our Savior, He puts His robe of righteousness on us. And He sees us as sinless as His own Son. Wow. That'll give you something to worship this season, won't it? Worship comes as we yield our will To God's will. Remember what Jesus prayed? He's nearing Calvary. Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Is your life submitted to God like Mary's was? God could have chosen with or without Mary's consent. But Mary was fully dedicated to serving God with her life. Imagine the things God can do in our lives when we're totally and completely yielded to Him. We sing like that invitation song sometimes. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to look into your word. Look at the annunciation, the announcement that Gabriel brought to Mary. That the long-awaited, Messiah was coming the one who would save his people from their sins the prince of peace Lord I pray that in our hearts we would make a choice just like Mary that even when we don't understand what you're doing in our lives that we would trust you we would yield our lives and our hearts completely to you and we could say like Mary be it unto me according." that I were.